and welcome back to the second to last episode ever of the Beta Sandwich Science Podcast. We're going to talk about magic, magic mushrooms, penis transplants, how biotech companies are working with dead people, and GMO, the final word. Probably not. Let's do it. Welcome back to the, I w- this is technically the penultimate episode of the Beta Sandwich Science Podcast, but it's the last one we're going to discuss a lot of science and all that fun stuff. Next week is kind of a post-mortem that will be very interesting. We're going to talk a lot about who we are and where we came from and all that fun stuff. But for this week, still some real science, so stick around. This is episode number 133, recorded May 18, 2016, and that's my story. I'm sticking to it. We got with us probably everyone. We'll see if a minute here, but we certainly have the voices you've come to learn and love. Carolina Balkenbush and Christian Copley Salem. Hello. Yo hey. yo. Well, Dale. Oh, hold on. I see Dale as available. I'm gonna try to add him. Dale, as any regular listener knows, is not always here. Harry. Although I don't know how a listener would know that. <laughs> well, we're trying to add Dell here. I am Scott Barnett, and uh, as we had said earlier, this is the second-to-last Beta Sandwich Science podcast episode. We are deeply appreciative of all of our fans. We're so glad for turning in. As a matter of fact, last week when I mentioned the end of the show, I may have come off as a bit flippant or dismissive of not just the show, but of course our fans who are as invested in the show, some of you hopefully, as we are. Um, one person actually wrote to us that said, this podcast plays a huge role in my life that completely messed up my exam mojo. Uh, and thank you, I hope. Unless you're trolling us, then, well, you know what you can do to yourself. However, it felt <laughs> genuine. And I'm sorry, man. Uh, I certainly, uh, and we, I'm sure, uh, as a collective, certainly... Uh, that sucks. Um, I, I've listened to podcasts that I've liked a lot in the past that have disappeared. And in a weird way, it, it's funny, I've talked about this about, I don't know if I talked about it on this podcast, but there's this thing where when you listen to podcasts, you feel there's a relationship there. It's a weird one-sided relationship where someone's doing a lot of talking and someone's doing a lot of listening, but you certainly begin to feel you understand and appreciate and know the people, and then one day they're not there. It's almost like a friend moved away, or in a much more extreme case, someone died where it's just like that person's not there anymore, and I've felt that. It's a it's a weird sense of loss when a podcast you really like goes away, and uh, if I was flippant or dismissive, I uh, Deeply apologize because this show means a lot to me. It means a lot to everyone. But the good news is, is that Christian and Carolina, they're doing their own show. I'm doing. I'm picking up a show. I've disappeared. So, so you still got more fun sites to listen to if you if you care that much. The uh, it um, fun fact. And unlike Scott, we yeah. love you. <laughs> I do love everyone. My heart, sweat, and blood has gone into this show. I can't tell you how many hours of. of work got into editing and, and artwork and Christian doing the music and everyone prepping for the shows. Believe me, this means a whole lot to, to all of us here. And um, the listener had mentioned that they messed up his exam mojo. My f- first year as a graduate student during one of my very first final exams, the night before that exam, it's a horrible class. Um, what's that one class, Christian, we take? It's the first year and it's got some very bland name to it that sounds like it's hard um, molecular genetics. Molecular genetics. I think that was it. And um, uh, really not great class. And it was really kind of turning me off to grad school. There's a. It's just tons of information. None of it that critical. Hard test. And the night before that final exam, I learned that Steve Jobs died. And I'm a very big Steve Jobs fan, despite all of his faults. I I'm one of these people who. Hook, line, and sinker thinks he's this great genius who did some incredible things. And to hear that he died, like, I remember it, like, it really sat on me. And it, it definitely affected my ability to work on the exam. So I'm sorry are if you, we messed are you, up. Are you saying the end of the Beta Sandwich Science podcast is like Steve Jobs dying? <laughs> if not worse, in some ways. Oh, very good. Very oh. good. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is you are the equivalent of someone who murdered Steve Jobs. <laughs> Or maybe I'm Steve Jobs dying. I think let's, that's let's, I think that's what he's saying. I think you're saying you're Steve Jobs. Wow, this yeah. took so a turn humble. that I was not Virtuous. expecting. No, I am. Uh, uh, is not uh, at all what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that uh, modesty. Yeah, uh, my goodness. All right, I'm not even going to try anymore. What'd you guys do this week for our final talk about? Anything fun? Um, I developed a podcast. You did. 
<laughs> the Ion Channel, which will be picked up right after the show ends. So it's like uh, you guys won't even miss anything. Yep. But we'll talk a teaser of what, uh, what the first one's going to be? We will certainly... Um, oh, yeah. Please go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. The first one's going to be about um, sperm because, you know, what the heck? Might as well get a shot out of the gate. You know what I'm oh, saying? No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's already started. It has. Um, but we're going to, yeah, we're going to have an interview with a professor who did a lot of work in pioneering the way we understand how sperm works. And we'll talk about sperm and sperm health and what you should do for, to keep your sperm healthy. And it should be a and whole whether, lot of fun. And whether or not there's anything you can do to have a boy or a girl, preferentially. Yeah. Dude, oh. Straight from is, the expert. Is it like reptiles where you can just like heat the eggs up a little bit more and then you get a boy versus a girl? <laughs> Right. It, all we'll it takes have to is wait and see. You, you just yeah, put a heating pad around your belly and you get a girl. <laughs> yeah, that should uh, be exciting. Indeed. So yeah, there'll be plenty of details all about that next week. We'll get you all the information you need to do the smooth slide into Ion Channel podcast uh, and the Poison Cast. And Carolina, what'd you do this week? Oh, uh, nothing really. As always, same old. <laughs> Sorry. Actually, I've been watching Silicon Valley. Um, on HBO, and it is just a fantastic show. You guys should check it out if you don't already watch it. To me, it's one of the greatest shows ever made. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it is beautiful on so many levels. You have to have a little bit of appreciation for nerd culture, but not a lot. The more you have of an appreciation, the more you'll get some of the inside jokes, but ultimately it's just the the funniest show out there, is it not? It's hilarious. Indeed, so... Agreed, agreed. Uh, man, Dharma and I are planning. Well, we're planning this Yellowstone trip. We're going in a few weeks, and uh, we've never been before, and so we're very excited about it. So you do all the googling and all this sort of stuff. A couple things: huge money making opportunity if you are entrepreneurial in spirit. When we start looking for kind of guides and books and all that sort of stuff for Yellowstone, just be like, you know, maybe we should just get like a book, you know, just look into this, you know, these guides online, who knows, blah, blah, blah. They all look like, you go to Amazon, you type in Yellowstone guide, they all look like they're from 1983 with like steel camera photos, like with real film, and like, they look as boring as all giddy up, and they certainly do not apply to anyone under the age of 50 as far as what they'd want to do, and I, you know, a lot of young people are going to national parks, they love to travel, and to take something with you, that is not an app. It's not on your phone. It's an actual book when you're out in the woods that you can look at and learn and do all that stuff, I think would really appeal to a lot of people. And there's nothing out there that appeals. So, but we're planning a Yellowstone trip. Completely coincidentally, I saw this article online where just this week, someone, they saw a buff, a baby buffalo that had been slightly separated from the pack, not by a great distance. And they thought the baby buffalo looked cold. It looked too cold. So they put it in the trunk well, the, of their hatchback, the back of their hatchback, and they kept it back there for a period of time, and then they let it go, and then the herd rejects it because it smells like cigarettes and whatever the heck else they smell like, and oh they God. have to kill the buffalo. <laughs> Not the people. The, 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 the people who run Yellowstone had to kill the buffalo. How do people still do this in this day and age? And they tweeted it. They were all proud. They're like, oh, the buffalo is cold. And they put it in the back of their car. Who does this? So, yeah. Anyway. People who want to be shamed on the internet. Apparently. And then, like, a day later, I saw another group of people who, there's something called the Prismatic uh, Hot Springs. It's probably the most iconic of hot springs there with all the colors and stuff. They just like went past the fence where there's like eight signs saying, do not cross here, fragile ecosystem. And they're just walking around in their flip-flops in the hot springs like, yo dude, check us out! And like destroying the ecosystem that has been there for thousands of years and people generally respect. Like, my goodness. So, anyways. I sound old, don't I? I would just love to know all the news sources you subscribe to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I do a thing called Feedly, uh, F-E-E-D-L-Y, and it's an RSS aggregate, which is a fancy way of saying most websites, most blogs, most news sources, they the way they post their stories is through an RSS subscription, not dissimilar to a podcast, except their news stories, and it will pluck all of the information out of there on the photos, and it just aggregates it from whatever sources you deem is important to you. And I have about 150 websites 
that all get aggregated into one page. And it's the most delightful thing ever. You you skip the ads. You see tons of stuff. And if, if you want more information, it will often only show about half the article. Then you go to the source page, and then they get the ad clicks and all that sort of stuff to help them sustain themselves. But Feedly.com, definitely check it out. It's uh, it's it's really changed my life. So anyway. Cool. Can we sign up to, like, your Feedly aggregate? Uh, I actually think you can now. I'll, I'll put a link on the page. I'll do that. I will put a link on the page, especially with the science stuff. I'll put all of them, but I, I have I subscribe to about thirty or forty science links, and they're they're really cool. And another thing, the nice thing they do is they, based on the popularity of the link, you get kind of a little like on fire trending type thing, so you can see the really popular ones easily. So, um, cool. Yeah, indeed. So we are trying to add Dell one more time right now. Delbert Jackson, PhD, biomedical engineering. That's that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we are delighted you could make it, as we said, for the penultimate Beta Sandwich Science Podcast episode. How are you, Mr. Jackson? I am well. Thanks for asking. Are we on the air, so to speak? Uh, no, we'll be on the air in about 10 minutes, so say anything oh. negative you want about anyone right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were recording for about 10 minutes. Thank you for making it, Dell Jackson. So, um, yeah, we're just talking about, you know, just uh, what we did this last week or so, just kind of hanging out, all that fun stuff here is, um, um, yeah, pretty much just standard fare for the beginning of the show. Good. Welcome. So sad. I don't know if I can record with tears in my throat. <laughs> is that oh. where they? Is that where they emanate from? Am I doing this wrong? <laughs> well, they like they they dribble down my mouth or backwards through my sinus sinus cavity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good time. Well, I guess usually I'm used to drinking other people's tears. Maybe that's why I'm, I've confused that. <laughs> Are you some sort of demon? You're like, I sustain myself from the tears of children. Something, yeah, something like that. Absolutely. Yep. We um we can talk off to the air, but uh, a couple of people from your work came to my work today. Just so you know, not just to my work, but to my lab. Oh, Hamilton. Yep. Cool. Fun fact, fun fact. So, anyways, uh, we're kind of closing out our, our our intro segment, unless you had anything you wanted to add, Delbert. No, nothing at all. I'm just glad to be here. I think there's one thing you want to add. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does <laughs> whatever a spider can. Thanks, Del. Okay, now I'm not sad about the show ending. Delbert, it's been a while since you've been on. Do you know what happens, what we do after our banter? I think there's some laser type activity. Look at that. Last one. Almost everyone worked I out. I puked. Oh, you I did. Puked. Everybody did. Sorry, I was very exuberant in my pubing. That sounds weird, too. <laughs> Something you do as a young man. You mine just sounded exactly like lasers, so you didn't know. <laughs> so did mine during my pubing phase. No. I had to see the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Science, science, science. So uh, I'm going to leave the floor open. I've been doing a lot of chatterooing. Does anyone want to talk about science? Well, I'll do the first one because then I don't have to segue from anything. You always have to segue. Yeah, you intro segue. I mean, we 133 episodes, my friend. You know you don't get free of that. Okay. So, speaking of Spider-Man, uh, <laughs> his his relatives were killed, and I guarantee you that he would be ecstatic if we were able to bring them back from the dead. There you go. Wow. However, well masterful. <laughs> Delbert. However, you, you, sorry, Delbert. You, you, you sh- it's the last Beta Sandwich Science podcast. If you could do one of your outros, we'd be deeply appreciative oh just throwing my. it out there since we're starting and i'm sure you were sitting back and relaxing but not gonna happen Christian, no sh- shit <laughs> you missed all my excellent outros while you were gone Del. yeah oh yeah they well, were so you know i listen i listen to adequate. every show you guys know right they were so adequate <laughs> she was like i'm like so can you do Dell's outro she's like so uh so we story um okay next time <laughs> Hey, that's that's all you need to do. It is all you need to do. It was like the C-SPAN version of it. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. So, sorry, Christian. You have to re. It's been too long. You have to resegue. No, no. My segue was too good. And also, this is not a live show, so people can just go back and listen. To it. Um, anyway, so there was an, a recent article with the with the fantastic title: "A biotech company has been given permission to try to resurrect the clinically dead." Now, if I say that somebody is dead, your first thought is not that they are in a coma, on machines, still alive, just not functioning. Your thought is they're dead. Well, this particular dead, clinically dead, just means that they're in a vegetative state. So all of the excitement that was sort of surrounding this article really isn't um, as interesting as it could have been. No zombie rising. No, this is actually people, (laughs) if somebody's dead... For any length of time, like fully dead, no heartbeat, no oxygenation of the brain, the brain starts dying very quickly. And there is in no way any chance for this to bring back a dead tissue. Like once tissue dies, it it decays and it becomes necrotic and it, it's done. So this is for like people in a coma? Um, Not so much a coma, but people who have no brain activity. Oh, okay. Uh, How is that different dead. than being dead? I thought that was one of the determining factors of death. There's no brain activity. Um, well, there's a lot of people that are there while they're technically brain dead, their body is still being kept what oh, like Terry Shivo on a machine, right. So what they're looking at is ways to improve brain function and try to bring those people back up to a functioning state where the machine is not necessary. Um, really is what this is about. This isn't about, you know, zombies and raising the dead. So what they're Boring. doing is... It sure sounds like their quality of life would still be relatively low. Well, if, if they get what they want, the, the goal would be to bring back brain-dead patients. I've been told um, that you can't always get what you want. You can't <laughs> Get what you want, but it would be interesting if we could, and that is actually you try if some you time take away to get some cells back. What's that? Right. If if you take away the original headline and you just think about the idea of bringing back brain dead people, it's actually a pretty cool thing. Um, and what they're doing is they're injecting basically stem cells and neurotransmitters and trying to use nerve stimulation to kickstart. Um, electrical impulses from the brain so that the body will do a little bit of repair and then um, use the neurotransmitters and the stem cells along with the nerve stimulation in order to basically regain consciousness. That's their goal is to regain consciousness. Um, So yeah, well maybe, I mean, that would be cool because they could say that, but just the article even says down at near the bottom, it says, to be clear, brain dead or clinically dead patients are kept alive only through the work of life support machines, which means they cannot breathe or often circulate blood on their own, and their brains have completely shut down all functioning. But that doesn't mean that they are actually dead. Like, if you have somebody in the back of a car for three days that has been dead, this is not going to work. <laughs> I mean, you have muscle atrophy, you have all kinds of systemic issues that would prevent this. Now, um, when I when I saw the story I saw and I read briefly, the reason I kind of poo pooed this story off the bat was that there was no methodology, there was no discussing about what new advances in science had been accrued in order to allow this to happen. Did were you able to find anything about that? Um, no, and I get the I get the uh, the reason for that is the very first three words of the title: a biotech company. Mm, they aren't going to tell you exactly how this works until it makes them money. Like until it becomes something that they until have. Until it's off patent. So you got right. 20 well, years to figure this story out. Yeah. And even then, like if they tell you before it works, then they may not have claim to what you're able to do with that technology. So once they have it working and they can patent the, you know, all the things that go along with that, we're talking about a phase one trial. So a phase one trial is non-randomized, sort of a proof of concept 
Um, Wait, and it's not even phase, phase, phase one. one. Don't you need a living phase. person to do a phase one trial? Whatever drugs, um, they're, they're just testing their drug in healthy people if it's truly a phase one. Oh. Uh, it's described as a non-randomized proof-of-concept study to whether they can reverse brain death using a combination of techniques. I that's don't think that's a phase that's, one. I think that's a basic research preclinical thing. With isn't animals. that going to be an awkward conversation to have with like potential people? Like, <laughs> Take a bunch so of stoners. Hugs this week. And they're they like, okay, have- sweet. We're doing muscle relaxers. We're doing pain. <laughs> no, no. We're going to have to kill you, <laughs> we'll hit you in the head with this hammer, and then we'll put this drug in you. And it but it might pays really well. Yeah. <laughs> right. It pays $100 a weekend. It what they've done is they've gotten permission from the families of 20 clinically dead patients at a specific hospital. Maybe Walt so Disney will be one of them. In India. <laughs> Has Trump's family offered up Donald? Ah, uh, boom! Oh, dang. <laughs> So, so yeah, that's the uh, that's the story of the revival of the brain dead patient. Yeah. It will be neat if it's capable of um, working. However, this trial they haven't even started in. Wait, and it's did funny. you say they, neat? Ne- huh? Yeah, that'd be kind of cool if we could bring people back from the dead. Neat. That seems like a. a- a little bit of a of an undersell to yeah. what this might be, well, Christian. Speaking of that. underselling and overselling, the way I read into everything here that they've submitted or at least produced for the public is they're trying to churn up interest for something that has minute clinical potential application in order to get investors to give them millions of dollars so they can continue their research and hopefully develop something that is commercially feasible that is my personal guess do you guys remember sierra sciences here in reno i think they went out of business mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah. they went out of business i someone told me they thought they did i don't know for sure i i'm not speaking one way or another i'm not an expert on them but they were trying to make you live forever essentially by increasing telomere length which is also a hallmark of unstoppable cancer which is well, I would like Not, to point out that they, they're all still alive, so you haven't proven them wrong yet, Scott. That's entirely true. So, But these companies, especially when you're trying to do something very um, titillating, they will do what they can to get whatever interest they need churned up, i.e. enter the PR people to write an article. So we'll see what happens from this. I'm not, I'm not terribly optimistic. Yeah, no, it's, it's still pretty early. So, well, thank you, Mr. Copley-Salem. Excellent. Indeed. So, uh, Delbert, did you bring a story, or are you just hanging out with us tonight? I know it's um, kind of last I minute kinda, for you. I kind of have a story, sort of. Yeah. Do you kind of have, have a segue? <clears throat> Speaking of uh, ghosts, scientists have, well, because you need ghosts with dead people, right? We all know that. Of course, we all believe in ghosts. <laughs> Uh, there is a story about um, uh, fizz.org about AFM, atomic force microscopy, revealing molecular ghosts. Ooh, I love ATM. We've talked about ATM in the past. Yeah. Oh, in fact, they are they use a form of AFM, AFM, excuse me, force microscopy, uh, non-contact. And I am putting out there to our loyal listeners, if you've hung on for this long, um, mom. Then uh, I'm offering an all-expense-paid dinner in Reno to the first listener who can uh, tell us which show I uh, discussed AFM on. In any case, these uh, molecular ghosts, we all took organic chemistry, right? Uh, Yep. So, Carolina, could you please explain to our dear, beloved listeners what intermediates are in a chemical reaction? Intermediates are basically like a... A transition phase from reactants to products. Ooh. Very good. Someone just studied for the MCATs. And I have the episode <laughs> number if I can win the, the dinner, too. I said listeners, uh, I guess. Well, I'm a listener. I guess if you listen. I'm not. So right. I'm I, won't, cool. I won't say. but uh, No, of I, course. I'll take you out to dinner, Scott. Yay. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, intermediates are very short-lived on the order of picoseconds. So, that's a trillionth of a second. Um, but what the sci- this group out of UC Berkeley has discovered is that they have found these molecular ghosts. So they have been able to record these intermediates. And so if they exist for a thousandth of a second, 
what they can't figure out is how they're able to take pictures of these with non-contact AFM, a process which takes up to, guess how long? Uh, eight nanoseconds. 20 minutes. Plus 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So for 20 minutes long, they're catching these quote-unquote molecular ghosts. So I, I was very interested in this until I read a little bit deeper, and it turns out that what they are looking at is a special type of chemical reaction. Um, it's They just call it a catalytic reaction, but actually I think what they're doing is looking at these reactions occurring uh, near a metal surface. And so in the end, after you, know, you can uh, look up the article or we can link it, uh, it turns out that they're really affecting kind of the, the sample space that these molecules can go into because they're close to the surface, which for those of us who remember our thermodynamics can understand then that obviously en entropy is a driving um, force and not, I hate to use the term force, but uh, ent entropy obviously contributes to the energetic landscape of these chemical reactions. And so as you bring something closer to a surface, right, we would all expect then you're kind of limiting the conformations or the sample space that these molecules can um can sort of search out. Yeah, you're like so the them with a spatula. Yeah, well, if you think like if you have, I mean, a molecule that can kind of bounce around, if you want to think of this like little ball, imagine this like little ball bouncing around in a, in a little cube and it has a certain probability to go into any of the other cubes, you know, connected to it, if you want to think of it that way. But as you start to take away the other cubes there, so if you had, say, like nine, um, and entropy, which is, um, I guess, for those that may not know, is a measure of, of order, essentially. Um, entropy kind of sort of drives these, can dri help drive these reactions because um, things like to be disordered. So the more that you pack molecules and you organize them, um, the more they want to kind of go away from that, that state. And so these molecules driven by largely thermal reactions can sample these very different, you know, conformations. But if you would just want to imagine this little ball and it has nine different boxes that it can kind of bounce into. Well, if you take away some of those boxes, of course, what you would see if you like, if this ball just bounced in between, let's say four boxes as opposed to nine, and some of those boxes might be short lived, so to speak, they might be an intermediate state while well, you're sort of like pushing the probability of every time you kind of walk in and look at, you know, look at the, where this ball is, this molecule is, you're kind of increasing the, the chance for it to be in one of those, those states. And so I think, you know, and again, I just, you know, this is a, not the original um, article. The original article is published online in um, Nature Chemistry, I believe. Um, but in my mind, it almost seems like, uh, duh, like, of course this is, but I guess, it, it, you know, I, I, that would be naive of me to think that I understand it as well. But so that's the story. So that's one thing I wanted to say. I thought it was very cool, but I will admit that it was almost like clickbait, right? Atomic force mic microscope reveals molecular ghosts. I, is that not something you would want to read about? I would click on it. Totally. I totally clicked on it. And this was published on May 10th on fizz.org. But I did a little bit of digging, and by a little bit of digging, I scrolled to the bottom of the page and clicked on another <laughs> link. And it took me to a May 2nd uh, article on phys.org um, that, when you read it, is nearly identic identical, but listen to the title. Viewing a Catalytic Reaction in Action. Team Monitor Steps of Chemical Reaction Mediated by Metallic Surface. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I would have clicked on that. <laughs> I would have definitely clicked on atomic force mic microscope reveals molecular ghosts. So for me, this is also to be a little meta, you know, and put a little bit of a bow on, you know, my involvement in beta sandwich science podcast. It sort of shows the temptation when you're trying to get people interested in science that sometimes you have to consider the entertainment factor. You have yep. to do pews and segues and outros to get people to click on it. But Honestly, in the end, you know, I read both articles. They both present the same information. So in the end, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, there is, you know, I will unabashedly admit to a certain amount of titillation, as Scott, a uh, word he used previously, a certain amount of titillation you have to kind of create in people to get them to, to get into science, so to speak. So that's it. Interesting story. But then I also thought it was pretty, 
even more curious, so to speak, about the, the clickbait version and the boring, stuffy version. Uh, I could not agree more with you about learning to ride the line um, between kind of like entertainment. And we, I think, I'm not sure if we talked about it on the air or not, if we, um, if we talked about it off air or whatnot, but the, uh, we were, I had mentioned how I had titled uh, an abstract that I thought was a very interesting foray into oh, our right, thing right, of right. preterm labor. And it was uh, something like, you know, the um, uh, uh, expression or regulation of GeoCNOR and the human myometrium, something like that. And it was just generally ignored and people went by my poster and they wanted that. And then, I changed the title just a little bit, and I actually have one that was accepted for an oral presentation in in, in Vegas in a couple of weeks, which is therapeutic inhibition of GSR GSNOR in the management of preterm labor. And if you're not into deep science, they probably both sound equally boring, and they're not as fun as molecular ghost. But inhibiting a protein in the management of a disease is really what that says. I'm I'm inhibiting something, and it affects a disease state. Accepted for an oral presentation, all the science is exactly the same, and and scientists need to learn to sell themselves. They need to learn to sell their research. Not be there. You can be humble, but you can also word something in a way that is interesting. And, and scientists and people give them a lot of crap. They will go too far in it, and they'll be like, you know, the 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 magic of the uterus. GSNOR. It needs to just not be flat out wrong. <laughs> Not flat wrong, and it can't. I don't. It shouldn't necessarily be whimsical or or silly like some people do. And you know, um, like you know, life after life, the protein. Like people, those don't mean much either. But the but sell your work, be proud about it, and I, I think people respond to it more that way. So, but anyways, yes, I completely agree with you, Christian, Christian yeah. or Dell, whoever yeah. said that story. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so. Uh, I have two stories. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and do one. Um, it's actually kind of amusing that Dell was talking about like the ghost of these reactions here because sometimes people see ghosts when they're doing magic mushrooms. And Ooh. there was a... Mushrooms. Mushrooms, indeed. There was a, a story that was just released yesterday, I believe, uh, in Nature News. And it wasn't a Nature paper, I believe, but it was in Nature News. And they talked about a research study that was done called Magic Mushrooms Drug... Magic Mushroom Drug Lifts Depression in First Human Trial. And I've actually been told to do mushrooms by a lot of people. I've never done them. I'm being completely honest. I haven't. I've resisted the idea. I've always been afraid it will like mess up my one potential acid on this planet which is my brain i'm not going to be a model i'm not going to be an athlete if i screw if i get in a motorcycle accident or i take a drug that screws up my brain i'm essentially out of the game of being a productive human being with that being said a lot of people say they're great and it turns out maybe they are greater than i was giving them credit for here researchers from imperial college london gave 12 people, small group, but you'll see why it was so hard to do this, gave 12 people uh, psilocybin? How do you say that, people? Psilocybin. Psilocybin. Oh, I mean, uh, that's what my friends <laughs> told me it was called. The active component in said magic mushrooms. All of these people had been depressed for a very significant amount of time. They weren't just kind of not feeling well. These people have been depressed on average for 17.8 years clinically depressed for almost two decades. None of the patients had responded to standard medications. In particular, we all hear about SSRIs. They had no effect on them. Uh, they, a lot of them did the electroconvulsive therapy, had no effect on them. They were just clinically depressed people. All were given uh, psilocybin. Am I saying that right now? Sure. Okay. Yep. Uh, one week after receiving the oral dose of psilocybin, all patients experienced a marked improvement in their symptoms. Three months on, five of the 12 patients were self-reported as being in complete remission. I would normally happily report this as a placebo effect probably. However, if you've been depressed for 17.8 years and you've done all of the major therapies with no response... I find it unlikely that a placebo effect alone is going to completely change, put you into remission five months after you take a single dose of magic mushrooms. That being said, the end certainly needs to be needs to be uh, increased here. 
one of the lead authors here, Robin uh, uh, Cathcart, said that this is pretty remarkable context with the available treatments here. Um, she's a neuropsychopharmacologist at Imperial College London, and uh, and oh, it was published in Lancet uh, Psychiatry. It was actually I just see that now. That was a very very highly regarded journal here, and they said that generally, if you have very long term depression such as this, and you take SSRIs and you respond to them. Only about 20% of people even respond positively to the SSRI. So this is a pretty remarkable uh, finding here, assuming it holds as the N increases here. And uh, as they said, the the authors are not suggesting that uh, psilocybin uh, should be a treatment uh, of last resort for these patients. You know, they were basically saying that the treatment at least is something that should be investigated further. They're not claiming it cures depression in people. They're just being responsible scientists and they tested it and they're seeing what it works here. All this was done as part of a phase two, well, what at least what it sounds like to me, I actually don't know, a phase two clinical trial because they weren't testing safety in, in healthy groups. They were taking depressed people, giving them certain doses and seeing if they had any effect on them whatsoever. So ultimately we'll see what, comes of this. Part of the problem is that it, it's very, very hard. This was done in the UK, and I imagine it would be almost as hard here to study. It's very, very hard to test these drugs on people. Magic mushrooms, in at least in Europe, or I should say England, are a class A illegal drug, which is the same category as heroin and cocaine, which to most people I know, that seems kind of insane. Uh, most people I know that have done mushrooms say they're pretty mild and uh, not something to worry about, and you're not going to be highly addicted after a single use like you might after heroin or cocaine. However, because they're a Class A drug, they're very, very hard to test. It took them 32 months just to get all of the approval after they got their grant. A scientific committee awarded them the money to study this, and it still took them 32 months to get all the T's crossed and I's dotted in order to test this here. By comparison, this is crazy. It only took them, they did another study. It only took them six months to get through all of the red tape to test similar studies with LSD and MDMA uh, versus 32 much for mushrooms. I, it's because they're a class A drug over there. So, so in any case, um, hopefully this will be something positive because people with severe depression moderate to severe depression know how crippling it can be and you can it can pretty much destroy your life and if something as simple as this could affect it that'd be great um on a side note i saw a story i didn't report on a couple weeks ago about ketamine not the drug itself but one of the metabolites of ketamine what they found was that they uh when ketamine gets broken down in the neurons there is a byproduct of it which gives you side effects but one of the side effects of the metabolitic byproduct was that it was a very effective antidepressant. And so now they're taking this byproduct of ketamine, not the drug itself, the byproduct, and they're testing it as an antidepressant. So it's interesting how a lot of these drugs, we talk about people self-medicating through alcohol or drugs. It's because it works. People don't take drugs to self-medicate because it sucks. They take it because it makes them feel better for a little bit of time. So people are kind of picking that ball up, figuring out why these drugs affect people positively and trying to isolate what that is and, and create a drug that will help people with, with, with real disorders. So anyways, that's my story. Awesome. Oh my God. There was too long of a pause. I'm like, have they all been gone for five minutes? No, <laughs> no, no, we're here. <laughs> Sorry. Controversial. I like it. Indubitably. So Carolina, we're done with GMOs. We, we, we've solved it and there'll be no more issues with it ever again. Am I right? Um, that's, that's the tagline, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, but before before I uh, talk about that story, I just wanted to um, mention I was just looking at this uh, conference that's coming up on obesity and chronic diseases in Vegas. I don't think that's the same conference that you're coming to in the next couple of weeks, right? Actually, uh, my boss is delivering the talk because I will oh, be so in Yellowstone. <laughs> this uh-huh. was an interesting conversation we had to have, but uh, but yes, <laughs> it is show in a couple of weeks. Sorry. Why are you doing that? That's crazy. Because I'll talk this, to you after. This has been planned for a year, and I would have to, yes, seek another wife if I tried not to do that. <laughs> Say no more. But there's there's this apparently huge conference that I, I kind of think is a fake conference. I think this is one of these like organizations that you can 
pay to be a speaker at this conference or you just pay to have a poster session because I'm looking through the list of um, educational sessions and one of them is called maternal exposure to the production of fireworks and reduced rate of new onset hypertension in pregnancy <laughs> okay <laughs> not even kidding there's a there's another session too that is called um Oh, where is it? Abdominal obesity and recyclable waste pickers. <laughs> what? Recyclable waste pickers? Are they eating yeah. all the good organic leftovers out of the recyclable waste? Oh yeah, I don't know. I mean, talk talk about selling your research. It's very, very interesting. <laughs> anyway, so what I wanted to talk about today is actually sort of like a, a, a tri-part story. It's a, it's a bunch of stories that have all been kind of cropping up recently. So I saw this um, headline in Time Magazine today that says, GMO crops don't harm human health, report says. And there is a new report, which I was just looking at, um, in the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, that is the result of a review of nearly 900 different publications on the effects of um, genetically modified crops, both on human health and the environment. Um, if you want to read it, uh, it's some light reading of about 400 pages. Uh, so I kind of skimmed through it and just skipped ahead Put to the conclusions. Put it on the back of the toilet. You'd be through it in a few weeks. <laughs> you spend a lot of time in there, don't you? <laughs> Busted. <Ooh>. Busted. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so so this massive report has basically concluded that there are no discernible negative health effects um, from genetically modified organisms or genetically modified crops. Um in fact, they report that there are some potential benefits um, since certain GMO crops are um, made to be insect resistant. There is less incidence of um, insecticide poisoning in people. Um, the environmental effects are a little bit more complicated, but purely from health effects standpoint, it's, it's really interesting since right now there's a lot of... Um, uh, public health and environmental advocates pushing for mandatory labeling of GMOs. Um, but this report suggests that that might not be necessary um, and that the FDA might not even have the authority to mandate uh, GMO labels. So that kind of ties into this other issue right now where the FDA is facing a lot of pressure to have to define certain terms. Um, whenever you see the word healthy on a food or the word natural, there's there's a, a lot of confusion about what that means. In the case of the word natural, uh, the FDA just closed a public commenting period very recently on May 10th um, about what the word natural should be defined as. Um, there have been over a uh, hundred different lawsuits against uh, food companies because people feel misled by the word natural on food products. In fact, people are more likely to buy a food that's labeled natural than something that's labeled organic when in fact there is no legal definition of the word natural. So you could put the word all, all natural on pretty much anything. So things that contain synthetic or artificial or genetically modified ingredients can be called natural. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether or not that changes. I mean, when you guys think of a natural food, what comes to mind? Mushrooms. Peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, even even a food that, like, like, I think most people would agree that something that's minimally processed, like a, a piece of fruit or a vegetable, could be considered natural. But is it natural if it's not organically grown? Is it natural if it's a GMO product? Um, or does natural only pertain to the, the, the processing method um, that happens to a food? You know, like basically turning an apple into applesauce or into an apple neutral grain bar. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. There are um, 7,600 7, comments um, that have been posted uh, to the FDA that's going that are going to be reviewed, and that's probably going to take months to evaluate. Um, but it's not a simple issue. I mean, natural is just um, I don't know. Uh, I get. I guess it's it means something different to everybody. Just like the word healthy means different things to everybody, and especially at different points in time. Right now, uh, the FDA does define the term healthy, and in order to call itself healthy, a, a product has to be low in fat. 
But some foods like um, almonds avocados. and avocados, yeah, yeah are high in fat, but you could argue that they're they're healthier, they're beneficial to your health. So that's a, another term that's going to be up for evaluation. Um, and so, can something processed be healthy? Well, maybe you know if it has certain nutrients that are shown to be beneficial to health, it, it could be good for you. Does that mean that a multivi- multivitamin is healthy because it contains a certain amount of various nutrients? I don't know. It's processed and it's artificial. So it's a it's a very uh, murky area and it almost seems like it'd be easier if these things weren't labeled at all, if there there was no specific definition. Um, yeah, to be like healthy is it's something's tendency to cause a disease state. And yeah, if, I, if, I tend to agree with you on that. If you want to be as unrealistic as to say that not even necessarily unrealistic, but if you you can segregate anything and say it causes a disease state in a vacuum. But as we know, as we just talked about, almonds, avocados, high in fat, um, a lot of fruits, uh, apples, high in sugar. And if you segregate certain elements and you use that as your benchmark, as your as your ruler to determine a disease state, that's silly. You have to look at the food as a whole and how it's ingested and then start using that as whether or not it's, it's healthy or not. It, it, it's so, it just seems so short-sighted. Mm-hmm. And you can't always consider something that's minimally processed as being more healthy than a processed version. I mean, if you, if you have unpasteurized milk, for example, it could be full of bacteria and maybe that's great for your microbiome or maybe it's going to cause disease. So something that's maybe natural or less processed is not necessarily going to be more healthy. Um, and something that's lower in fat or lower in a specific nutrient might not be healthier if they're replacing some of that fat with uh, sugar, for example. So it's definitely a very sticky, messy area, and it's all kind of coming up in the news recently, the, the controversy over natural, healthy, and GMO. So, I, um, I worked at a grocery store for a couple of years. Uh, somewhere around 17. And um, <laughs> one of the things that people used to say is, oh, do you have like a natural food section? And I, everybody kind of knows what that is, but I always used to joke with them. I was like, well, we don't have any supernatural food. So pretty much everywhere you go is natural because. And actually, then all those rich people looked at you like you're an animal. Yeah. They were like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you know, all this food is like made in nature and people are natural and anything that people make is natural because what else is there? But um, yeah, I think we need a new word. For yeah. That. I don't well, think- it's, it's so, it's so funny when you think about different food words, they're just so ridiculous. Like yeah. you'll see the word refined on foods. And so the word refined brings to mind uh, something Rich better or and, cultured and, yeah, or nice. fancy. But when it comes to refined grains, that means that a lot of the, the, the fiber and vitamins and iron are removed when the germ and the bran are taken out. Um, it's basically stripped, not refined. The, the word is kind of a, yeah. a strange choice. And then when something is enriched, you think of it as being made better or fortified to make stronger or, you know, more rich. Um, basically, if something's been stripped and then something else has been added back into it artificially, it's. I think that there's a lot of potential for consumers to get confused. Yeah. And it's and it's tough because it's not clear to people on food labels what exactly has been evaluated by the FDA and what hasn't been, which claims are qualified health claims and which things are just unregulated unreg- use of terms by food marketers. Mm. Is this the story that gave the headline that said something like avocados can't be considered healthy, but oh, some other like oh, processed Pop Tarts can. Yeah. 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 Pop Tarts. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I happen to know what Dell's favorite vegetable is. Anuntrium? <laughs> I, I spent so much time isolating these. I got to use them Jesus. now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, who knows? I'm just going to, I'm going to gratuitously plug my new podcast again and ask Dell if he is going to ever show up on my show. And Carolina's show, I should say, our show. Um, probably as regularly as I do on this show. 
Awesome. That's more than zero. <laughs> yep. When you're really stumped um, and hard up for uh, content, then you call me. I'm like the last person you call. He's like, who, who was always on Johnny Carson? Like, who just always like showed up? Who was his like go to? I don't think any of us are 75 or older. Tell him. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. Like, it's such a socially relevant. You're like, you know, Carson. All of us were killing cast. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Not uh, old. <laughs> Close. In, indeed. Um, and. Part of the problem, if you, if I may segue, if you don't have a, a healthy diet, is that a lot of studies show that the wrong diet can cause cancer. And the only thing worse than having cancer is having penis cancer. Fortunately, oh, yeah. or unfortunately, the penis is not considered vital for living. So if you have cancer of your little friend, well, he's got to go. And up until very recently, little yes, that meant your shorty Dell would permanently be well shorter or gone. <laughs> Bum deal, huh? No longer though. Science has produced an answer to this age-old horrible situation. Surgeons at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, or probably as we should call them, heroes, have performed the first penis transplant in the U.S earlier this month on a 64-year-old patient. Yay! It was a 15-hour surgery. Cost fifty dollars to $75,000. However, because the hospital was learning, they covered the cost here. Uh, and it was successful. As it turns out, though, this wasn't the first penis transplant ever. And no John Benet or John Bobbitt, that's the one, he doesn't count because they took his little friend and put it back where it was supposed to go. This is a penis transplant from one human being to the other. Um, the first time it happened was in 2006. Doctors in China successfully performed the procedure on a 44-year-old patient who had lost his wee-wee in an accident. They didn't specify the type of accident. But two weeks after the surgery, his body didn't reject the organ. His girlfriend's brain rejected the organ. And the patient requested the penis be removed, saying that his wife, excuse me, not girlfriend, was suffering from psychological problems related to seeing another man's penis. So, off it went. <laughs> True story. True story. I would have found a new wife. Um, but <laughs> Hear that, Dharma? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I ever need a penis transplant, first of all, I'm going, well, it will be a different shade. Let's say that. Um, oh <laughs> I need to stop talking about this. So it's not all bad news, though. <laughs> not everyone rejects it. In 2014, a transplant was done in South Africa on a 21-year-old who had lost his penis after a botched circumcision. Ah, can you Ooh, imagine? Gosh. Is there any more horrible circumcision at 21? I could. Some people get them on the older. Maybe the doctor sneezed during the procedure. Huh. I don't know. Um, however, happy okay, ending. hold on. Hold on, because this is our almost basically our last episode. Don't make me beat say, something on the last episode. No, 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 no. That is way more common than you probably think. Botch circumcisions? All kinds of weird things happen to people from circumcision. There's, I've uh, involved in a, I was involved in a big debate with people about, you know, the difference between female genital mutilation and circumcision of men in the West and blah, 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 blah. But I did a lot of research on that particular topic, and one of the issues watching that porno present, does not count as no, research. No. Um, but one of the the topics of it is is that it is a very difficult and risky surgery, and that the um, the amount of slack they leave in it, and like all kinds of things, can cause problems later in life. Some people are cut too tight. And it actually, like, rips later. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, it's, well, I mean, they're, they're working on something that's, you know, a little baby, right? So they have no idea, really, how it's going to develop. So they're basically guessing when they put it back together. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Apparently. Well, there is both a metaphorical and literal happy ending to this story. Six months after surgery, the recipient's, recipient's partner was pregnant, and he reports that everyone involved is what? happy. So... Are you, Wait, what? 
He had a penis transplant and he got his partner pregnant. He did not have a testicular transplant. He had a penis transplant. Oh, so the, so he just the hose the... portion still. Yeah, just yeah. a hose. Just a hose. Thank you. I never had anatomy. I'm glad you explained it that way for me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the happy part of the penis. Um, so uh, now it turns out that generally, though, penile, penile cancer is very rare. It's about one per hundred thousand in the population in the U.S. And less than one percent of all cancers are penile cancer. So this isn't going to be a very common technique for that. However, it's primarily going to be used to help veterans, cancer patients and accident victims. Um, the since between 2001 and 2013, kind of since the war started, there's been more than 1,300 men in the U.S. military that have suffered severe genital injuries, unfortunately, and um, a lot of them require extensive surgery, and so this would probably be a very, very uh, happy kind of effect for them, so so there is that there. Um, on a side note, I, I came across a random story about why all the old statues, like from the Greek era have small penises have i'm sure we've all noticed it before hello statue of david they say there's two reasons for it i just want to say this because this story was very interesting firstly maybe he's a grower and not a shower you are 100 percent right first they are said these are flaccid penises not everyone some people are growers not showers as dell pointed out here second back in the day cultural values lines. what's that it's my go-to line <laughs> um <laughs> Cultural values back then for male beauty were very different. Uh, big penises today are seen as kind of this manly. I mean, geez, if you listen to Donald Trump, he's very proud of whatever lack of manhood he has. And he, two Donald Trump jokes in one episode. And um, small penises were considered to be more preferential than bigger ones back then. As a matter of fact, generally back in the Greek era, all representations of large penises were in ancient Greek were 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 – uh, associated with foolish, lustful men, and they were not considered idealized or beneficial. And and in in Greek, you know, a rational, intellectual, authoritative man was seen as having a smaller penis. He did not need a large appendage, and uh, that's why all the statues had small wee wees. So there you go. Wow. Fun nice. fact. Fun fact. Woo, we're running out of time here on the last episode, but we still have a beta sandwich science history. Who's ready for that? Me. Beta sandwich science history. Something, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to wrap up the last beta sandwich science history. This is not a science history at all. I am going to tell you a story. I've got five of them. Well, they're like, like two sentences each. I want to hear from each of you very briefly whether you think the story is true or false. Three of the five stories are true. Two of them are going to be false and just tell me if i made it up from whole cloth or if this is a true story first one in 1992 veterinarian robert lopez took ear mites from a cat's ear and placed them in his own ear he was trying to determine whether humans can get mites from cats turns out that we can but he still repeated the experiment twice more and then he got published in the journal of american veterinary medical association to talk about his research true or I, I, false i have a question there is no How, questions true or are, false are you are you using like is it it would it be false because it was actually 1991 and you changed the date by one year no these or will be these false like, as in I, the, the story is made up or false okay christian true or false hello christian True. Sorry. My true. Bad. Carolina, true or false? False. Dell, true or false? Is verdad. That means true. This story is true. Yay. Boom. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Next story. This is the in, person in first place. In 2011. Del can't win this, by the way. Yeah, we can't <laughs> let Dell win. Okay. In 2011, researchers at Albany Medical College played songs by Beethoven and Miles Davis to rats learning that the rats preferred silence but would rather hear Beethoven than Miles Davis. True or false? That is false. I say false. That sounded like a lot of details. I'm going to have to say true. But that I want to say 
true. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're two down, three to go. In 1949, scientists at Duke University ran an experiment where they took 250 sets of partners who had been dating for at least three months and asked them to identify their partners solely by the smell of their feet. Women were approximately three times more likely to be able to identify their partner than the males were. This is false. This was, this is false. False. True. Christian, true. True. This is false. Oh. So this is a t-shirt one, right? I, yeah, the t- I, I roughly based it on the t-shirt one, but uh, this oh. is a, uh, that wasn't based on partners. That was based on sexual attraction and genetic diversity. Right. Right. Um, next one. In 2015, researchers at the University of North Queensland sought to determine if they could increase the rate of fish repopulation in reef dead zones by pop by playing classical music underwater. These tests are ongoing, and data is not yet available. I'll guess false. True. Christian true. Carolina false. False. L, false. Why did you guys think it was false? Because already had another true one about classical music. And fish don't like classical music, duh. It's common knowledge. But I was trying to trip up on some of the pronunciations to suggest that it must be true and I didn't make it up. It's false, just so you're wondering. I made it up. <laughs> so, and the final one here. At the University of Wimills in 2007, scientists found that hamsters recovered 50% faster from shifts in their day-night cycle when they were given Viagra. That means that Viagra could potentially be used to help people with jet lag. Yes, this is true. True. Hamsters have penises? <laughs> I guess it's true, right? <laughs> if you believe that. And it is anything. true. So if we go through and tally this up, um, I Delwyn, I don't know. This seems like a lot. Of I have four correct. Yeah, that's more than anyone else. Delbert, you've won the final <laughs> beta sandwich yes. science history, which isn't a history one at all this time. Um, our final tally for winners. This will be it, folks. Never more. Delbert has played 14 nine jeez doll two and carolina's played the most shows christian second carolina's played 24 delbert has a 64 percent winning streak roughly two-thirds of all games you've played you've won delbert that is pretty spectacular well thanks technically speaking aaron miller is the winner of beta sandwich science history as he has a 100 percent <laughs> winning rate on his game <laughs> Uh, but Delbert, I'm going to have to give it to you simply because you played so many oh, games. Thanks. I have come in second at 47% of games won. Carolina came in third at 38% games won. And Christian bringing up the rear in yeah. so many ways in 27% of games won. So um, that's it. Game over. Player one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Can I you outro? I, hold on. Before we do that, I want to point out to Aaron Miller that I had all of the stories that I promised him on the dock. So next week, no matter what we do, we are going to spend five minutes talking about microbes with no mitochondria. Because <laughs> I promised him we would do it. Uh, yeah, it's not going to happen. So you did not fulfill your promise. So, um, <laughs> Delbert, do you mind taking us home? Next week's a retrospective. If you've made it this, if you've made it this far, you can count yourself as a true fan of science, witty banter, and Scott's beard. Thanks for making it to our 133rd show. Why 133 shows? Is it because the element with the atomic number of 133 is? Wait for it. Untreatrium. But why else is 133 random? Indeed not! Well, most of you mathematicians have already figured it out that 133 is a semi-prime number, the product of 7 and 19, which means that 133 is a Blum integer. Named for the 1995 Turing Computer Science Award recipient, Manuel Blum, who was known to have eaten, wait for it, sandwiches. 
like how we tied that up. <laughs> and preceding 132 shows, this 133rd delivered big. Oh, sorry. Uh-oh. <laughs> it delivered that big. Sorry. I thought it was a different one. It's almost over. <laughs> no wonder we're off the air. Delivered big. An epic Spider-Man segue from Christian. Followed up with a less epic review of bringing people back to dead. From the dead. Of more interest that Christian considers the resurrection of a dead person as neat. That can throw away those OCHEM books. Depends how much stake you put into the story Dell shared about molecular ghosts. Exciting. Or as the more bookish would refer to them as steps in a chemical reaction. Boring. Scott's talk about his trepidation of taking magic mushrooms, which are shown to counteract depression because he's afraid of harming his only asset. Could you loyal listeners please phone in and assure him that he has nothing to... Carolina goes on a warpath of healthy words. Don't even ask her about Pop-Tarts. And finally, <laughs> all is right in the world as Dell becomes king of it by winning the final beta sandwich science history and course. all of them before then <laughs> thank you so much loyal listeners and don't tune in again because we won't be here <laughs> no we won't be here next week one more oh, wait. wait yeah that <laughs> penultimate <laughs> penultimate <laughs> yay thank you delbert you had never thank have you. to do that again oh the pressure the stress i like aged 10 years each time which means i'm like <laughs> 900. <laughs> That's generous. Oh, I've been man. on the show a, few, a handful of times. I've got a, a grin <laughs> ear to ear. Well. Well, does Carolina promote the show or what happens? Or uh, we just all. We got, we, well, we got, we got, we'll, we'll talk about shows next week on the final outro. We kind of talked about them earlier in the show. We'll, we'll have a final push to don't bother following us on twitter or liking us on facebook <laughs> <laughs> us on facebook yes yeah. oh, go left. ahead and finally swipe us left on tinder swipe too. left finally <laughs> oh my god but you can still we would really love it if you could still rate us on itunes not because we need the push but because we need the e- the the ego push to say thank you for the show and we would certainly appreciate it so uh you can still go on itunes to do that the site's going to be up the site's not going anywhere it's going to be archived you can still listen to all the old shows which i'm sure you're all just desperate to do um so it's all going to be there and that will be talked about next week as well so we'll shoot do we say goodbye i why we we say goodbye but not fond farewell yet okay goodbye everyone Till next week, y'all. Was <laughs> <laughs> that Dharma? Yeah, it's Dharma. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.